Hello and welcome to um, episode 2 of Pod Save the King. This is our politics section of the podcast. Um, we'd like to start off by saying thank you to the, um, at this point, 209 downloads that we've had of our three past podcasts. It's far more than we could have anticipated we'd receive. Um, and to say that we've gone you know, worldwide over four continents, we'd like to thank our listeners in the United Kingdom, the United States, Canada, Australia, Switzerland, Germany and Brazil. Um, we hope that you know our podcast has worked well to your en- enjoyment. Um, so, to give you a brief summary of today's uh, episode, we'd like you to join us as we discuss the politics of the day, from sharing opinions on the recent strikes, Qatar sourcing of the World Cup, and um, t- uh, Tony Blair's recent um, t- Tony Blair's recent statement on the Tory crisis and more. Um, so topic one, we'll start with Qatar's hosting of the World Cup. Now, I'm not sure about you, Annie Elson, but me and myself, I've never really been the biggest football fan. But I must say, this year's World Cup has really kind of drawn me to it, mainly for the politics of it. Um, so obviously, we know that you know Qatar. We know that Qatar doesn't have like uh, a large football history. Um, so originally, it was quite. People were quite curious of why it is in Qatar, as there was no major reason for it. Um, so, would you like to start us off? Yep. So, what a extraordinary decision that was. Um, where do we begin? So, uh, yeah, as Connor said, I don't think it was really a, a world stage football team, as far as I'm aware. It was FIFA's decision to um, give the bid over to Qatar for them to host the football tournament, which has traditionally taken place during the summer. But given the climate in Qatar, it had to be hosted during the winter. And I think as a result of that decision of giving the the, uh, contract to host the World Cup in Qatar, the chief executive of FIFA was um, sacked as I understand it, and these are just our views, our personal views, um, was was there was bribery involved? Yeah, there was there an were exchange of money. Of that. Yeah, accusations of. Thank you for correcting me. Yeah. So, <clears throat> what does this say about um, the beautiful game, as it's referred to? Has it been corrupted by money? I mean, that's everybody's question at the moment, isn't it? Um, because the stadium, um, if I'm right, that is currently being used to host the World Cup by Qatar was built by mainly a migrant workforce, and we know that officially three migrants had died whilst building it. Um, So obviously there was that from the get-go. As well as that, we know that Qatar has some very, very questionable policies on um, LGBTQ plus uh, rights, which again, for fans across the world, I'm sure was very very scary and put a lot yeah. of people off from actually supporting their team in the in the country that they was playing. Uh, um, so all of these factors combined together really kind of puts a stain on FIFA and a stain on this year's World Cup. Um, I mean, it might be different for, for people. This is just from observation, but we've been discussing that this year there aren't as many England flags being flown. 
Absolutely. In previous years, there's there been you know cars flying them out of the windows. There's been many houses decorated for the World Cup um, in England, and I'm not sure if that's the case, you know, in the other countries that you know listeners are in now. Yeah. But for England, it was it was quite a big thing, you know. Oh. Is football coming home? Yeah. This year, it, it seems to have decreased quite a bit. It's, whilst there are still England flags being flown and houses decorated, very minimally compared to previous years, and especially compared to the recent Women's Euros that we saw. Um, so I think this has stained um, 2022's World Cup. Um, so what do you think about yeah, it? Yeah, so I, I think you're right. I think there's a distinct lack of enthusiasm. And I think the other thing about football, and I've talked to other people about it, um, the World Cup was traditionally associated with summer. It was a su- summer tournament. You could have, uh, we've had in the past, uh, massive outdoor screenings where people have gathered in city centres, in playing fields to watch the match. They've gathered in pubs and etc. etc. But there seems to have been a distinct lack of enthusiasm from that respect. I think the other thing to say is that in this country, events are personified by the drinking of alcohol. Definitely. So when in the past, when the World Cup has been advertised on TV, they've always had, and Budweiser's actually been the sponsor, the official sponsor yeah. of this World Cup, but they've downplayed or they've not been able... I think at first they were allowed to sell alcohol in the stadiums and then I think three days before it started, um, that was taken away, wasn't it? Which again, shows not necessarily a bad aspect of Qatar, but a more of a controlling society. Definitely, yeah. That there isn't that freedoms that's um, enjoyed elsewhere. And as well, in the first game that England played in and the first game that Wales was uh, playing in, so um, Harry Kane and Gareth Bale, captains of both, uh, of the England and, and Welsh teams, um, they were gonna were the one love armband to commemorate, you know, LGBTQ plus rights everywhere. And I believe it was FIFA that basically told them not to. Otherwise, I think there was a threat of a yellow or red card. Yeah. Um, and of course, they wouldn't want you know politics to affect how they would perform in the actual World Cup itself because then what's the point in playing in the World Cup Um, which I think was a very bad decision from FIFA Um, and then the FIFA president I'm not sure of his name he came out didn't he and he um, he came out with the statement and I don't know exactly but he claimed that he started it off with today I'm a migrant worker today I am you know gay etc um and the fact that he felt like he could speak on behalf of, you know, isolated groups, bizarre. Yeah. Um, so it, I think this has really damaged FIFA's reputation. Absolutely. Um, and it, it's kind of highlighted that, you know, modern, modern like, society is sticking together because there has been outroar across the world. And I think it's nice, to, and especially in politics, it's been a cross-party, especially in this country, it's been a cross-party mm. agreement that, you know, what is going on is bad. And I think the government have done quite well in supporting, you know, LGBTQ plus communities that want to travel to Qatar to watch the World Cup. Um, for example, the uh, Foreign Secretary, he was there in person, at the, he, and I think he's continuing to be there in person to kind of be there as like a, a symbol for British um, 
Freedom. You know, British, yeah, exactly. Um, and if anyone has problems, he's there to kind of deal with it and assist. Yeah. Um, I think there's been quite mixed messages from the Qatar officials, hasn't yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. First they were saying, or probably are still saying, that you can be whoever you want to be and we will welcome everybody. But then the laws still exist to punish those exactly, yeah. that are found to be doing things that they don't agree with. Yeah. So it's kind of a bit two-faced, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think Qatar, the government of Qatar and leaders of Qatar, they're trying to use this as an opportunity to increase their public image on the world mm-hmm. stage. And it's just completely worked that against tired. them. Yeah. Um, and I, see, I, like I said said at the beginning, I'm not an everyday football fan. I don't watch, you know, common games, but I do watch major tournaments. And what I've noticed is this World Cup, especially, has been far more political than previous World Cups. There's been far many more things involved. And you might disagree with me, Auntie Ellison, but I think that's because politics has been so, so incorporated into football now that they go hand in hand. I think many people have like realised that football's grown to be such a big platform, it's a wasted opportunity not to use it as polit- like a political stand-in. Um, for example, um, so some people were calling upon the England team to do the cutting her gesture to support the women of Iran and the process going on there. Yeah. Um, the Iranian football team, in the first game, they didn't sing the national anthem. Um, in support of Iranian women and people that were being punished in Iran. Um, so I think football and politics are now one with each other. Um, and I think that's going to be a common theme moving forward. Well, that I, I'm, I'm sure you're right. And we've got many examples. It's like taking the knee as well, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. And I guess the question is, should politics be part of football? Should politics be part of any sport or should they be completely separate? Is it possible to separate them Well, I suppose, in today's society? Yeah. I suppose that's, that, that's an interesting question. I mean, we look at, for example, Russia. They've been excluded from the World Cup, rightly so, due to the atrocities in Ukraine. They was excluded last year from the Eurovision, rightly so, for the atrocities in, UK, uh, in Ukraine. So I think... In the 21st century, politics really does go hand in hand with major things, major worldwide events. And I think it's important, and I think it actually does do a lot of good in some ways. Don't get me wrong, there are negatives towards it, and I think in some cases it can overshadow the sport itself. But for for political matters and raising awareness of things, I think it works really well. I think that's okay if if there is agreement but if you have a bunch of fans that think one thing and a bunch of fans that think the other then that i suppose that that can overshadow the actual game itself because in previous years probably the 80s or maybe the 70s and the 80s we were the hooligans of the world or certainly europe and we were well known for going to watch football in other countries and causing chaos and and they're having to ramp up the police in anticipation of the british fans so it's you know it's it's a strange kind of dichotomy isn't it that um it the purest sense of football 
is about men on a pitch putting a ball in the opposite goal. That, in its purest sense, that's what football is. Yeah. But to some people, it goes beyond that. It's almost like a religion. It's, well, you can't be a red if I'm a blue. It can create divisions as much as create harmony as well. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, Now, moving on from that, um, I suppose before we move on, we'd like to, you know, put forward our support for the England football team. And we really do hope that football does come home. Um, We've been wishing that since 1966, the year I was born. Um, So it's now actually 15.42, so the kick-off is at 6 o'clock, so we're about 2 hours 20 minutes before we'll find out or we'll start to understand if England is going to get through to the quarter-final. And actually, in some ways, you would never hear me talk about football other than the World Cup. Yeah. But it does, on a positive, it does create that sense of the country coming together. It really does. And we all want England to do well. We're desperate for them to yeah. bring it home because I mean, every t- tournament we get disappointed. I mean, thankfully, the Lionesses last year brought, or earlier this year, sorry, should I say, Brought football home, so hopefully England men can bring it home. Because for the men, World Cup. you've got a lot to live up to. Absolutely, it, England um, expects. Absolutely. Um, now moving on to our topic two, which is the Supreme Court's ruling on Scottish independence. Now this is a very controversial topic, and before we, you know, we talk about this, we'd like to say that. You know, we we want you to challenge our opinion yeah. if any Scottish or maybe English people do support Scottish independence, then you know, we accept your opinion. That's of course. That that's the beauty of politics. You know, we can all have different opinions yeah. and not end up in a in a blazing row. Yeah. Absolutely. So um Scottish independence. Um I'll start off with my opinion on Scottish independence. Now I feel like it's it's quite um I feel like, in some ways, I can't really share like a full opinion because I'm not Scottish. Mm. I don't know what it feels like to be Scottish, and I don't have the reasons to want independence because I'm English. You know, the UK government is centred in the UK, and you know, uh, England has the most constituencies, I believe. But myself, I, I consider myself quite a unionist. I think together we are stronger. Um, but on the other hand, I can see why the Scots do want independence. I think, whilst I don't agree with many of Nicola Sturgeon's policies, I think she's one of the most powerful leaders of the United Kingdom. I think, regardless of her policies, regardless of your opinion on Nicola Sturgeon, she is at least one of the leaders in this country that can truly rally her party behind a cause and make it known to the rest of the UK. Um, and whilst, whilst the Conservative government call themselves the Conservative and Unionist Party. I think it's hypocritical that, for example, our last Prime Minister didn't sit round a table and speak to Nicola Sturgeon. I think instead of sitting there and just completely ignoring Scottish independence and what the, what many Scots are calling for, I think it, it, it's time for, for the UK Prime Minister to turn around and realise why the Scots want independence. What do you think of that? So, yes... Obviously, they have the right, the Scottish people have the right to decide whether they wish to remain with the United Kingdom. I agree that Nicola Sturgeon has got many great qualities and I think she's a very strong leader. 
I think of the fundamental flaw, in my personal opinion, about Nicola Sturgeon is that she's blinkered about Scottish independence. That's her sole, not a sole goal, but one of her primary aims. And I think she's entrenched in it and she yes. just can't see out. So let's look at the wider context. A lot of, uh, the majority of Scottish people wanted to remain in Europe. And that that's their right. But at this moment in time, they're still part of the United Kingdom. So we have to, in this instance, go with the majority, as you do in a democracy. So despite the fact that the majority of Scottish people want to remain, as a whole, the country decided that to leave Europe. Um, I personally would like them to stay with us. I think we are stronger together. I think more... Um, brings us together than divides us and they've already had a referendum and the majority of Scottish people wanted to remain part of the UK. Yeah, they did. Was that referendum was prior to Brexit, wasn't it? It was, so... That might be the crucial thing. Potentially, yeah. So, Indyref, which was the name given to the Scottish Independence Referendum, Indyref was in 2014... Brexit was in 2016, so potentially yeah. that 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 is a main contributor in why the Scots want independence. But see, from this is this is my personal view, and you know I, I don't affiliate myself to any organisation. But I think it, it I, I don't I don't want to insult anyone, but I can't see a reason why you would want to leave one union to join another union. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So um, you're saying leave the UK and join Europe. Be yeah. Part of Europe. Yeah. yeah. Um, and but they would do so as an independent country rather than being part of a UK. Yeah. They would. Mm. Now it is a very con- and I'm sure we'll dive deeper into it at a later date, at a later podcast, and potentially we could, um, we, we could kind of give like an entire 25-minute podcast yeah. to the idea of Scottish independence. Potentially we could get some Scottish people on to talk about their experiences and their beliefs because obviously we are two English people talking yeah, from yeah, an English ab- perspective. Absolutely and we, we do so with that full knowledge that you know that we're English and yeah. we're, we're just um, making some assumptions. But so what we're saying is or potentially we're saying is that if they'd had the referendum after the Brexit vote they might have voted differently. Potentially. That's, that's the potential isn't yeah. it? But then again, you could argue, well, they had the referendum. How many times? It's a bit like the Brexit argument, isn't yeah. it? You keep having a referendum until you get the right answer or somebody's perception of the right answer. I think it was made clear at the time, I think, that this was a once-in-a-generation vote. It was, yeah. And the same with Brexit. For example, I, for example, am a Remainer. I respect the idea and I respect the view that people may have wanted to leave the, uh, you know, the, the European Union. But am I going to call for another Brexit referendum? No, because at the end of the day, the majority of the country exercised their right of democracy and the majority of people wanted to leave the European Union. In the same way that my view is, at the time the independence referendum was held, the majority of Scottish people wanted to stay within the United Kingdom. I think just from a, a country perspective, you imagine what the conditions would be for us to rejoin. Oh, they would crucify us. Absolutely, yeah. 
So I just don't think that's even an option for us. Yeah. For the next, well, I don't know how many years. Yeah, potentially. Not until I'm very old or long gone, maybe. Um, so I think Brexit and Indiref kind of go hand in hand a little bit. They are, because they're about making a choice. They are. And a big choice. A very big choice. Yeah. Um, and I suppose we haven't actually seen the results of Brexit yet. I no. mean, so we left the EU officially in January 21, didn't we? And that, But in that time, it was in the middle of a lockdown, was in the of middle course. of a pandemic. And yeah. now we're in the middle of a, a world recession. Yes. So I suppose we've never actually seen the true impact of Brexit. And I'm sure in coming years, we will see the impact of Brexit. And I think it's only then when we can say if it's been a positive or negative change for the country. I completely agree with you. At this moment in time, and I have to say I was a Remainer as well, but I think what we're seeing here at the moment, and I don't know whether it's a result of Brexit or whether it's COVID, only history will determine that, but we have got massive shortages we have. In terms of jobs that we can't get, we haven't got enough people to fill the, the vacancies that we've got. Yeah. We, I mean, which brings us on to, you know, the nationwide strikes that we've been seeing previously. Um, now, unfortunately, we don't have very much time to talk about the strikes. No. But, for example, we've had postal strikes in the Royal Mail, which is really affecting, you know, the postal service. Um, just, was it this Wednesday or last Wednesday? I can't remember very well. But... Rail strikes. Rail strikes, and also teachers in my sixth form have stri- uh, been striking. Barristers. Barristers have been striking, exactly. And these are all, you know, th- these are all crucial, like, job roles in yep. our country, which keep us moving day on day. Um, and for the first time in its history, nurses are going to go on strike. And that got, is very, very significant. Yeah, and we've got to ask ourselves, why are these people striking? And it's the wages. The wages. Uh, I mean, teachers, for example, that some teachers' unions are arguing that. Te- uh, I think it's something like the the last time I checked, inflation was at ten point five percent. I might be wrong on the exact figures, but it was somewhere around that. Um, and within the past ten years, teachers as have received about. a a two to three percent pay rise. Now, teachers want well. I'm sure most jobs want a job that uh, want a sorry sorry. I'm, I'm sure many jobs would like payment to be in line with inflation. Yeah. But then comes the argument: if we if we raise wages in line with inflation, and inflation itself will rise again. So we are in a tricky position as a country. But what the government are failing to do is sit round the table with these unions and speak to them they're not they're, they're failing to actually get the answers that they might need yeah they're not engaging well that's the accusation from the union's perspective yeah, exactly. that they're not they're not engaging and in all fairness i don't think the country can afford to pay massive pay increases no and you've got to ask yourself what is reasonable and and you know, forgive all those rail workers out there, and I, I will quote the union leader: uh, the, a train driver's average salary is fifty nine thousand pounds a year, which is well above the average salary. And when this was put to the union leader, he said, "I'm not interested in leveling down. 
I'm interested in levelling up. In other words, he thinks that the train driver's salary is reasonable and should be increased, but and so should all, a lot of other public sector jobs. But that's just beyond, I think, what the country can afford. Yeah, I think if I was if I was in government, if I was in power, what I'd do, I would sit down with the unions, I would explain, you know, if we increase your wages in line with inflation, then such and such will happen. What we can do is sign an agreement where once inflation is down to a certain percent, then we will raise your wages, and yeah. I would make it an official document. Because, let's be honest, we do need to buckle down, we do need to get ready for a, a fairly harsh winter ahead of us, but on the same time, we also want to keep our workers happy, and without happy workers, we don't have a happy country. No. But I think, unfortunately, I think timing is has been a real um, negative influence, because... Particularly for the nurses, they've just come out of two years of COVID. Mm. You know, the country's been through a, a lot. The world has been through a lot. That I think sometimes people are just fed up of having to keep, in their mind, giving and not receiving. Yeah. That's not my personal opinion, but I think that's probably how the mindset is of some other professions. Yeah. Now... Um, we hope you've enjoyed what we've been speaking about. Like we said previously, you know, the the topic of Scottish independence, and I suppose the arguments for independence for all four, all four of our nations within the UK, we will kind of designate a podcast for that in at a later date. We will invite people on potentially, yeah. so it's not just two English people talking okay. from an English perspective. Um, we hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Um, at the same time as this podcast being uploaded, you will also have access to Podsafe History and Podsafe Poli- uh, and sorry Podsafe Social Issues. This is Podsafe Politics, um, and the, all three of them come under the banner of Podsafe the King. Um, we hope you've enjoyed. Um, we hope you have a very merry Christmas. Yeah. Merry Good Christmas. luck to the England football team. Yay. Um, and yeah, we'll see you next year. Yeah, all the best. <laughs>